basics of a godly marriage. All right. Chapter 3, let's just read verses 1 through 7 to begin with. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whoso or whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating of hair, plating the hair and of wearing of gold and of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, called him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. So we're looking here tonight, uh, beginning, this is really just part one, um, at some characteristics of a godly marriage. And for those of you who are married, what should your marriage look like? And see, we don't have too many single people here tonight. Just one. But listen up, okay? What should you be aiming for when looking for a wife or a husband? Well, uh, you'll be looking for a wife, we trust. Understanding what a godly marriage looks like is very important, and we need to prepare for it. Now, it's good to remember that when God made man in his image, according to Genesis 1.27, he made husband and wife yoked together as one flesh. That's in Genesis 2. Uh, 24. And this means that a marriage relationship is a model of God, and very specifically, the, a model of the Trinity. When a marriage doesn't function properly, it mars the image of God, and it breaks down every aspect of society. So for this reason, from the very beginning, the home, the family, has been under attack. Satan attacked the home at the very beginning by tempting Adam and Eve in the garden. He attacks the home because that destroys the image of God. Uh, Satan's not interested in the image of God. And so even as our societies have become farther and farther away from God, the family decays and erodes. Now, the family is the foundation of, of society, and we have much going on today that's trying to destroy the family. In fact, this uh, Black Lives Matter is one of their main uh, goals is to destroy the family. Uh, of course, there's much other much other stuff that goes on there too. But the family is the foundation. When the home fails, the church fails. When the church fails, a nation fails. So we look at this text here. It's going to teach us some characteristics of a godly home. And it'll focus on the roles of both man and the woman. 
Now, no doubt the stress of persecution uh, happening in the Roman Empire uh, during the time that Peter wrote this had some uh, influence on uh, writing uh, this uh, in because uh, there were uh, the persecution led to discord, it led to uh, fights and arguments in the home between husband and wife. And so Peter's trying to correct that here. Peter is also attempting to correct the uh, common scenario of how a woman should react if she's married to a husband who's not yet come to Christ. That's very important because wives in the ancient world were often viewed as property. And if she became a believer and her husband was not, then it was perceived as rebellion and made the home life very, very difficult. On the other hand, if the husband became a believer, the wife and the children were expected to follow. And so Peter's writing, first of all, specifically to women whose lives were very difficult. Uh, the message is important, again, not only for us as married couples, but those who are single, someone who will one day be married. And, uh, of course, uh, I forgot, to, you're not the only single one here. There's two other single ones here, too. Uh, they got a little ways to go before they really start thinking about this, right? Well, <laughs> as far as dad's concerned, it's, it's going to be a long ways, right? Uh, but anyway, that's something that... Parents and grandparents ought to be teaching grandchildren and, and uh, certainly praying uh, for them concerning this. We have so many bad models today, uh, bad models on television, on the media, and sometimes bad models in our own home. And uh, if Christians do not know the proper marriage, uh, what it should look like, they're eventually, uh, when they... Uh, if they are single and they eventually get married, they're going to live out the models that they've seen. Now, Scripture calls for a higher model, uh, which is God's original plan for man and woman. We learn something of the design here in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verses 1 through 7. And uh, so in this text, we're going to see six characteristics of a godly marriage. We're not going to look at them all tonight. You don't have that in your outline, right? There's only one tonight, okay. And uh, the big question is, what characteristics of a godly marriage does Peter focus on? And uh, so the first one is, the wife submits to her husband to transform him. The wife submits to her husband to transform him. Now, here we have... Uh, Wives uh, addressed, they're to be submissive to their husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words. And look again at verse 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Now, he starts off with the word likewise. Likewise. Well, that's referring to a third area of submission, as we've already been studying uh, this uh, little book here, uh, this is the third area of submission. Previously, he's talked about submitting to government in chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. 
and then to masters or employers, and now he's focusing on the home. And he's focusing on the woman, particularly when he says, likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Now, the first point is that in a godly marriage, a wife submits to her husband to bring transformation to him. It's called submission, and it's a, it's a radical concept in our culture today. Uh, many are rebelling against Christianity because of this particular uh, characteristic. Even many Christians struggle with it. Uh, is a man greater than a woman? Well, if not, then why must a woman submit to man? And some people get really bothered by this. Well, one of the reasons they get really bothered about it is because they've been listening to the wrong advice, for one thing. They haven't been reading their Bibles. They've been listening to the world and the world's philosophy. And yet, in considering the concept of authority in the home, it really has nothing to do with equality. When God called these Christians to submit to the king uh, or to the masters in chapter 2, he wasn't teaching uh, inequality. An employer and an employee are fully equal. Say, hey, that sounds great. You know? I'm, I'm equal with my boss. However, in order for that company to function properly, someone has to be in authority and someone has to make sure that things run right. If everybody was saying, well, this is the way we're going to do it, and this is the way we're going to do it, and this way we're going to do it, you'd have chaos. So you do have a, a, an area of authority. And so... Uh, in the same way, God made the institution of marriage. He placed the authority in the home in order that it would function well. Now, when we look at society, there are up to 50% or more marriages today that are ending in divorce. Well, we can have no doubt that the marriages have lost their God-given design. So notice the beginning of the problem. In fact, we see God prophetically share this problem with Adam and Eve back in Genesis chapter 3. The result of sin entering into the world would be disorder in marriages. If we look at Genesis chapter 3 in verse 16, it says, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. Uh, in sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now, when it says the woman would desire the husband, it actually means the woman would desire to control the husband. And we see the same word used of the sin of Cain. When you go to Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, God said, Sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire. So sin desired to control Cain. But he was, called to, he was called to control it. Uh, sin resulted in the woman seeking to usurp the leadership of the man. And it also resulted in a man trying to dominate and control the woman. So we see these dynamics in many ways throughout our society. Now in some cultures, especially a fundamentalist Muslim culture, the wife is like property. 
and the husband can divorce or beat his wife for any reason at all. So the husband controls or dominates the wife. Now, in other cultures, the husband is docile in the home, and the wife is the leader. In addition, we see the feminist movement, and it continually pushes for the woman to not only usurp the man in the home, but in the church and in the society, regardless of God's design. And so we must realize that this was never God's original design for man and woman. Just have to read our Bibles and see that. Remember Genesis chapter 1, when God made man in his image, he made him male and female. He made a plurality. Verse 27, just as God is a plurality. It says there, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So here's the beginning of the problem back in Genesis. Now, we said this was a picture, marriage was a picture of the Trinity, and the evidence is in the Trinity, because Paul makes that argument in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, that women should wear a sign of submission to submit to their husbands by calling the woman to look at the Trinity. He says the wife mirrors Christ and the man mirrors God. In 1 Corinthians 11:3, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. And so what Paul was dealing with there in the church uh, were those who were dishonoring their husbands by, uh, in the case of uh, head coverings. Now, uh, it, by the way, the head covering is speaking of the woman's hair. That's very clear from verse 15 of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 11 there. But we're not going to get into the explanation of that tonight. But in the home, the man should submit to Christ and the woman should submit to her husband because he's the head of the wife. And finally, he says the head of Christ is God. Now, I hope you can see the analogy here with the Godhead. In the same way that man is the head of woman, God is the head of Christ. Christ is co-equal with God, but Christ submits to the will of the Father. He said, nevertheless, my will be done, but thy will be done. But Christ is God, and God the Father is God. But Christ submitted to God and his will. And so uh, he said, I came to do my Father's will. And I'll do only what my father says. See, they were co-equal, but he was in submission. There's submission in the Godhead. Uh, the woman's relationship with the husband is called a mirror uh, to mirror Christ's relationship with God. And when God made mankind, he made a relationship between husband and wife that was one, like the Trinity, co-equal, like the Trinity, had the authority just like the Trinity, and marriage reflects the Godhead. Now, maybe that's a hard doctrine for some people to, to take. And yet we must see that it's God's established order in Scripture. It's, he's a God of order. And so he created order in the home. 
and we must establish our homes on the Word of God. Not what seems right to us, not what seems fair to us according to the world's standard, but what, what does God's Word say? Now, we have, thirdly, Christ the Restorer. And we need to understand that Christ came to establish a biblical manhood and a biblical womanhood. Now, when sin perverted the husband and wife relationship, the husbands became either domineering or passive. And the wife either became manipulative or a doormat. That was never God's plan. And therefore, Christ came to demonstrate what marriage should look like. And he demonstrates it in... Uh, uh, with the relationship of the church um, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, I think we're mostly familiar with that, but let me just turn to Ephesians 5 and verse 22, where it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands and as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So when we see the gospel, we see what marriage should be. Instead of the husband being lethargic while Satan leads the wife into sin, the husband should be active, so active that he gives his life for his wife. He serves her by washing her with the word of God, teaching her scripture, leading her in holiness. And it's the husband who makes his wife beautiful. And the wife submits to him as the church should submit to Christ in everything, unless her submission would cause her to disobey God. Now, of course, we know when the world looks at marriage, uh, or when the world looks at marriage, they don't... You know, they don't see these things, these principles, because they're not looking at it through the eye or the, uh, the lens of God's Word. But when the world sees a Christian marriage, they should see the gospel. A wife submitting to the husband as a church submits to Christ. The husband, you know, again, uh, being the one who is in uh, leadership, and, and, uh, and yet the world draws people away from God. It draws children away from God. When Eve sinned, Adam was supposed to be like Christ and die in her place. When the first Adam died or failed, the second Adam, Christ, succeeded. Shows us what the biblical manhood is as he dies for his bride, the church, and purifies her through the word. So Christ came to fix broken marriages and bring them back to the original order of the Godhead. That brings us to the power of submission. And this is kind of what this whole first characteristic is about. Peter is uh, espousing the doctrine of submission as he calls the wife to submit to the husband. And again, we hear that kind of a transformative power uh, of this life of submission. It's powerful, so powerful that it transforms the husband. Peter says, a wife who's submissive does not even need words because she lives the gospel. 
Look at verse 1 again. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. And so Peter kind of gives the scene here of a wife who probably got saved after she married and her husband is still an unbeliever. Uh, it created strife in the home, as that often does, possibly even oppression, since the wife uh, is, was considered at that time to be property. Uh, this would have made a, a marriage very difficult, very tough. And sometimes there was abuse. And often in marriages like this, where the husband is the unbeliever, the woman with right intentions would seek to zealously win the husband to Christ. She does this sometimes by preaching at him. And that doesn't really always do a very good, uh, uh, have a good result. And so Peter's saying the life of submission is God's perfect plan. And uh, that's what uh, Peter's trying to uh, get across here in these first couple of verses. You know, this... Uh, account of power of the submissive life. Uh, an illustration of this would be of a Hindu woman was converted, she, chiefly by hearing the word of God read. Uh, she suffered a great, great deal of persecution from her husband. One day a missionary asked her, when your husband is angry and persecutes you, what do you do? She said, well, sir, I cook his food better when he complains. I sweep the floor cleaner and when he speaks unkindly, I answer him mildly. I try, sir, to show him that when I became a Christian, I became a better wife and a better mother. Well, the consequence of that was that while the husband could withstand all the preaching of the missionary, he could not stand the practical preaching of his wife. And she preached without saying a word. And he gave his heart to God along with her. So uh, this is not just a truth for those who are married to an unbeliever. This is truth for uh, believers as well. I think the most traveled path in marriage to changing a husband or changing a wife, uh, the, the common path is arguing, uh, nagging. But Peter says that's ineffective. And uh, most of the time, it'll push the other person away instead of closer to God. So Peter says there's power of a submissive life with purity, meaning no sin and reverence, which means respect and honor. That has the ability to change a life. And this life of, trans, of submission is transformative because it was the life of Christ. Peter's already argued that the practice of submission among authorities in the world can save lives and bring them to glory of God on the day of visitation back in chapter 2. So he says, even as Paul said clearly in 2 Corinthians 6.14 that we should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, this does not prefer primarily to a marriage but to an intimate relationship, but intimate relationships are yoking relationships, and they pull us in certain directions. And so he says a Christian who does not separate from the worldly relationships 
will give up intimacy with God and ultimately bring discipline on his life. So I think there are many young Christians in churches and college campuses today are largely unaware of this truth. It's not being uh, taught like it should. It's like they never read the tragic story and the warning in the Bible of uh, being unequal yoked with uh, unbelievers. But uh, we're not saying that a wife who's uh, married to an unbeliever needs to leave him. But her life needs to demonstrate godliness and she can transform him through uh, her life, her lifestyle, living for the Lord. So that first characteristic, the wife submits to her husband to transform him. And so we'll stop there and to be continued.